0: Take your Bibles, let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 29 this evening, 2 Chronicles 29. Well we're going to continue our study, we've been studying the kings of Israel and Judah and uh, we're getting down to the the end of this, I think there's seven kings left after tonight and are somewhere around there, six or seven kings and we've completed the northern kingdom of Israel, gone through all of them. And now just wrapping up the kings of Judah. And uh, most recently we studied about a guy named Ahaz back in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Just a little review on him because it will come into play in tonight's message. If you remember Ahaz was a, was a king that chose to, uh, to, to live and to rule in an ungodly manner. Uh, He was not a godly king. Uh, Look back to chapter 28 if you will. Ahaz was 20 and 8 years old when he began to reign and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father. And so Ahaz was an ungodly king but he had a godly father. And if we go farther back he had a godly grandfather and Good great-grandfather and a good great-great-grandfather. But uh, uh, Ahaz, for whatever reason, chose to live and rule like the kings of Israel um, and the heathen kingdoms of that area. I just read verse number 1 of chapter 28. Look at verse 2 through verse number uh, 4. It says, For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burnt his children in the fire. After the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel, he sacrificed also and burnt incense in the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. So Ahaz ruled for these 16 years and, and not a good king at all, not a godly king Uh, choosing to rule like the kings of Israel and these heathen nations around him. And he ends up having this son, Hezekiah, that is going to take over for him. Uh, You're probably familiar with that name, Hezekiah. Uh, It's a familiar enough name. In fact, oftentimes when I'm doing sword drills with kids, I'll throw that in there. Turn to the Hezekiah 8-7, and they're all flipping around for Hezekiah because they know they've heard that before. And finally, someone will stand up, there is no book of Hezekiah. And that's correct, but we're familiar with that because he was a good king, a godly king. In fact, one of the better kings of the southern kingdom of Judah. And he'll rule for 29 years, and he'll lead the nation of Judah into great reform that his father, Ahaz, had led them away from. And it's a great spiritual reform. And so tonight I want to share with you out of, uh, from this life of Hezekiah, uh, three thoughts this evening, and I want to begin here with Hezekiah's unusual pedigree. I want to look a little bit at his family history a little bit deeper. Again, Ahaz was his father, but the father of Ahaz was a man named Jotham. You remember back to chapter 27, there's just nine verses, and there's a short passage in 2 Kings. And that's all we learn about Jotham is in these handful of verses. But he's a good king, a godly king. And so that was his father and his grandfather was Uzziah. Now Uzziah was another good godly king until the very end. He got turned sideways there for a while and he decided that he was going to go in and do the the operations and the functions of the priest in the temple. And those priests stood up to him and said, you can't do this, and you shouldn't do this. And so other than that, Uzziah had been a good king with that rough ending. And then his great-grandfather and great-great-grandfather were also good kings for the most part. So then the question always comes to my mind, how does Ahaz, uh, again, the father of the next king we're going to study, Ahaz, how does he turn out so rotten? I mean, it's not just like he's making a few bad choices. He's, he's sacrificing children. He's burning children. He's involved in some just unbelievable... How does that happen? And as I studied through this, some things, uh, uh, one area at least uh, popped out at me that I want to bring up to your, to your attention this evening. We'll be in chapter 29 eventually, but go back to chapter 24. We're going to look at a handful of verses in several chapters, and I'm building my case for you this evening. And so look at chapter 24. This will go back several generations, several fathers or grandfathers back from Ahaz. Look at verse number one. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Zebiah of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. All right, so there's Joash. He does that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Look at chapter number 25. Next generation or next next king, Amaziah, verse 1, was 20 and 5 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehordan of Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord but not with a perfect heart. We talked about that, that perfect heart and what that meant, and he wasn't completely sold over the Lord, but overall a good king. Chapter 26, verse 1. Then all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king in the room of his father Amaziah. He built Eleth and restored it to to Judah. After that, the king slept with his fathers. 16 years old was Uh, Uzziah, when he began to reign, and he reigned fifty and two years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was uh, Jechilah of Jerusalem, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah did. Then we come to chapter 27. Jotham was twenty and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned sixteen years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was uh, Jerushah, the daughter of Zadok. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according all that his father Uzziah did. And then now to chapter 28, verse number one. Ahaz was 20 and 8 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like his David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. So here is this section of verses and up to chapter 28 we see that these are godly kings or good kings but there's something missing when we get to chapter 28 and it's not the obvious fact that he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord but you notice something else is missing in this description of Ahaz his mom wasn't mentioned was she all those other ones a mother was mentioned now I read a little bit up on this and it was common practice that, with the busyness of a of, of a role of a king, that the wife and the mother of the king's children were were the primary uh, parent in those children's lives. Now we could poke holes in that, right? Uh, the importance of a father and and the importance of uh, of him being that leader, but. That was tended tended to be the the situation in these times and in this custom, and for whatever reason, Ahaz does not have a mom that is mentioned. So was she absent? Was she absent by death? Perhaps she died and she's never on the scene. Perhaps she's absent just because she's not involved in her children's life. Perhaps she embraced the life of the queen and she wanted to travel and participate in the, the, that lifestyle. Or perhaps she was just a very poor parent to the point where it led Ahaz down this path Perhaps she was an ungodly woman herself, so much to the fact some commentators believe that, that she may have been an ungodly mom, and uh, they just didn't include her in the writings here. So we don't really know. She's not mentioned here in 2 Chronicles, nor in 2 Kings. But it does show us the possibility of why Ahaz did not turn out like this lineage he had of good, good or godly, godly whatever down for these several lines here, and then we go back to our king tonight, Hezekiah, and so that's our second thought I want to give you this evening. First of all, the Hezekiah's unusual pedigree. Let's consider also Hezekiah's unlikely personality that he would turn out well. Now his dad's not like again making some poor choices, awful choices. Uh, he's gone full bore this way. He's, he's negated the worship of God. He's shut down the temple and the worship of the, in the temple and the, the priest and that line, and he's involved in all these things. And yet here you have Hezekiah. Look at verse number one. Began to reign when he was five and 20 years old, and he reigned nine and 20 years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Now, we've talked a little bit about this at various times and made this point that every individual has to come to some point in their life when they make a choice to serve God or not serve God. We've given examples of families. I gave an example the other day of a, of a pastor uh, that had four or five children And all of them all turned out well but one. It was one right in the middle there. And just various reasons that he could not figure out. He's got children that are serving the Lord, serving the Lord. And he's got one that's just made awful, awful choices. And that does come down to individual choices. But there certainly is an influence there. And you would think with this ungodly influence that Hezekiah had, that perhaps he would go the same route as his father. But I want to give you three thoughts of perhaps why Hezekiah turned out as well as he did. First one, you probably have figured it out. His mother is mentioned here in verse number one. His mother's name was Abijah. And it could be that in spite of having an ungodly father, that he had a godly mother, Abijah. In fact, the name Abijah means worshiper of Yahweh. Uh, oftentimes the names in the Bible and those Old Testament names, they are given in effect and and it displays a characteristic or a character mark of those individuals. And what a possibility this is, that in spite of having an ungodly husband and living in an ungodly realm, perhaps Abijah took him aside, took Hezekiah aside and read to him the scriptures, prayed with him, told him about his godly grandfather Jotham and his great-grandfather Uzziah and the the lineage and told him about King David and so forth and just the godly line and all that God had done and and kept his appetite for God there. It could be his mother. Also in this passage, it's interesting that it says his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Who is this Zechariah? There are several individuals in our Bible named Zechariah, including one of the uh, minor prophets. But Zechariah, that most people believe that this this man is, was a contemporary and a servant with the prophet Isaiah. Turn to Isaiah chapter number 8, if you will. Isaiah chapter number 8. And notice the first two verses. It says, moreover, the Lord said unto me, take thee a great roll and write it in it with a man's pen concerning Maher Shalhabash. I could say that 10 more times and never say it the same way twice, right? Verse 2, and I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of of And so we believe that most Bible students believe that this Zechariah here described as a faithful witness that Isaiah would use him in the ministry and his ministry of what God has told him to do. They believe this to be the father of, uh, of Abijah and the grandfather of Hezekiah on his mom's side. And again, this possibility of this godly witness from a grandparent. And grandparents, I do want to speak to you this evening for a moment. I know Rachel and I were entering that realm of our lives where our boys are old enough to be out on their own and we're trying to loosen that grip that we've had on our kids all those years of you will behave and you will do this and and now we have to release and let our children make their own decisions and and one of these days perhaps we'll have grandchildren and we've got to be careful that we don't and inf- push ourselves into that family circle too much but at the same time we can still have an amazing influence in their lives. And that's a a role that I think you should take seriously, grandparents and grandparents-to-be, that we would be that godly example. Uh, Back in our church in Pennsylvania where I pastored, we had a a wonderful example of this, of, uh, of some grandparents that, For whatever reason, their child and that child's family, he he chose not to really get involved with church and and, and walked away from the Lord. And um, they were limited in what they could do with their grandchildren. But when they had the opportunity, they were always certain to try to do something around the word of God around the Bible, teaching their children, their grandchildren Bible stories when they're little kids, bringing them to vacation Bible schools and to as many church services as they could. And and I can remember seeing them and never not seeing those children at church very often, but when I did see them around them, they're trying to be a godly influence in their lives. And grandparents, you can make a huge difference in your grandchildren's life, whether your children are walking with the Lord or they're not walking with the Lord, you can still be a great influence. And So he had a mother, a grandfather. And then Hezekiah was also a contemporary with the prophets Isaiah, Micah, and Nahum. He appeared to have a relationship and interaction with some men of God. And so not only did he have a godly mother and a godly grandfather but potentially interacting with these spiritual men. And I would suggest that these three groups, or a combination of these groups, uh, could have made up for that difference that was lacking in Hezekiah's life, a godly father. The influence of a godly mother, potentially. The influence of a godly grandfather and perhaps grandmother, the preacher or the spiritual leaders in his life can have an amazingly good consequence on a person's life. When Again, back when I was pastoring in Pennsylvania, we had a family that came to our church for a period of time and they were foster parents. And uh, their children were all grown and raised and This family had had dozens and dozens and dozens of foster kids through the year. Sometimes just a night. And oftentimes they would stay with them for months or even some of the kids, although they were never officially adopted, uh, would become, they would become like adopted parents in these children's lives. And so periodically it was not unusual for Arlen and Sharon to show up at church with kids that I'd never seen before. And, um, and they showed up at a uh, 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 neighborhood Bible time week. Uh, we had, uh, uh, in the evening, we did the teen rallies, and, and they showed up with a young man at one of those teen rallies that week. And um, his name was Trevor. And uh, through that meeting, um, I got to lead Trevor to the Lord that week. And I think he was a sincere decision. There was sincerity behind it. He was 15 or 16 years old, and, and so he made a good spiritual decision. He started at our church very quiet and backward and not, not coming out much, but the longer he was there, the more he was making himself part of the youth group. They'd done so well that he, they even let him get a job there in their local little town there in Clintonville, Pennsylvania, and he worked at the pizza shop. And then out of the blue, things are just going well for this kid. He's making, uh, he's in a good stable home and he's been making good choices spiritually. And then out of the blue one night, he robs the pizza shop while while he's working and he takes the, the owner's truck and just takes off and um Sharon called me and says pastor Trevor's run away and he's done this and he stole this and we don't know where he's at and he was kind of on the run for several weeks but eventually he was caught and um right from our back door of our of our church there it looked over a valley and across that valley just maybe oh I don't know a thousand yards away was a was a youth detention center and she called me up one day and said Trevor's in the detention center right across the way from the church. And I said will I be allowed to go visit him? And she got me permission and I went up there on a Sunday afternoon in between services one day. And I walked into this room where there's another family visiting a young boy over on the other side and I'm sitting there waiting and, and he shows up in an orange jumpsuit with uh, the whole get up and he walks in, and he's embarrassed to look at me. And he walked up to, him to the table, and I stood up, and I gave him a hug, and, and, and I said, have a seat, buddy. And, and he's just embarrassed, and, and I began talking to him. And I, I finally got down to, Trevor, what happened? Why did you do what you did? And you know how sometimes teenagers say, I don't know, you know, and it's kind of with an attitude, and you want to say, yes, you do, no, tell me. He looked at me and said, I don't know. And there was no attitude behind it. I don't think he was trying to avoid an answer. I, don't, I really think he didn't know why he did what he did. And I'm talking to him and, and we're talking about the consequence of that decision now and what's going to happen and how we could get his life back on track and all these things. And, and as I'm talking to him, I, I began to ask him, I said, well, what about home? Why are you with Arlen and Sharon? What about your home life? He says, well, my mom and dad are both in jail. They're both in jail. My dad's been a thief and and, and a drug abuser, and my mom's a drug abuser. And I said, oh, well, do you have any brothers that you... I have two older brothers. They're in jail. Okay. Okay. Well, how about uncles? Yeah, I have two uncles that I know. They're in jail. And I started thinking about this kid in his life, 16 years old. And every major influence in his life has been negative. And it's no wonder that he went this way. And I looked at him that day and I said, Trevor, we've got to change this. We've got to change your family tree. We've got to make some changes in your life or this is just going to keep going down this path. And I said, listen, God brought you to a home that brought you to a church that where you heard the gospel and I think you truly got saved. And he looked at me with tears and because I did get saved. I meant that, Pastor Mark. And I said, well, listen, you've got to start making some changes in your life. God's put some godly influences in your life. You need to start following them. And I just think about all the people that we can't influence, and it may be limited, it may be short, but having that influence in their life. And so I'd encourage us this evening to think about the influence of people in our own lives and, and those that we have, whether it's your children, your grandchildren, uh, somebody's neighbor, whatever it may be. So we learn about Hezekiah's unusual pedigree, his unlikely personality. And then I want to talk for just a few moments this evening about Hezekiah's unbelievable performance. I mean, he, as far as the king goes, he knocks it out of the park. He is a top-notch king of Judah. Look at verse, uh, chapter 29 with me, if you will. Let's look at the first few or handful of verses. Let me share a few thoughts with you here. Hezekiah began to reign when he was five and twenty years old, and he reigned nine and twenty years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Abijah, and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priest. And the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done that which is evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. And they have shut up the doors of the porch and put out the lamps and have not burned incense nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem and he hath delivered them to trouble to the astonishment and to the hissing as you see with your eyes. For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in mine heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, be not now, now negligent, for the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, that ye should minister unto him and burn Incense. Let me give you a handful of thoughts from chapter 29 this evening. First of all, notice he began his work immediately. Uh, it's verse 3 He, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. He began his work immediately. There was no settling in here, was there? There was no, let me get a, a good feeling on this. He had a mess on his hands, and he immediately began working on this. Uh, uh, Again, his father Ahaz has made a a, a royal mess, no pun intended, but just a, a huge mess, and there was consequences to that. Back in chapter 28, look at verse 5, wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. And they smote him and carried away a great multitude of them them captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel who smote him with a great slaughter. Um, somewhere down there, look at verse 8, And the children of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons and daughters, and took away much spoil from them, and brought the spoil to Samaria. Because of these choices of Ahaz leading the nation of Judah this direction, God has brought judgment upon them. And so Hezekiah gets into office, He's been been, uh, uh, named the king. He's been brought into this. And he immediately begins the work of reforming this. Not only did he begin immediately, he began at the right place. Do you notice where he first begins the work? In verse number 3, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Whatever reform that was needed in the nation... The reform of the house of God took a precedence. Getting things right at the house of God was before getting things right in the nation. It always needs to be that way, church. We've got a nation that's a mess, and I still believe the overall key and the best way that we'll see reform in our nation is for churches to be what they should be. It's for God's house to be what it should be and for churches to to be gospel preaching and gospel sending. That is the key. We have an upcoming election. I want you to be informed. I want you to participate. In fact, the church must show up and vote if we have a chance in these things. That is necessary. But national and state and local politics should not take a precedence over the main work of the church here and what we're to be doing. And I still want us, I think we can find that balance of still informing you, trying to inspire you politically and to be involved. I think we have a role in that. But our primary role, church, is to get the gospel out and to make sure that we are doing that. And so he began immediately, he began at the right place. I love that verse, verse number 10. He was committed to the Lord personally. Now it is in my heart, verse 10, to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Hezekiah had a personal commitment with the Lord that he was going to see the Lord turn these things As we read through here, verse 4, verse 5, and verse 11, we see that he supported the men of God. Verse 4, he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together in the East Street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of this holy place. Verse 11, my sons, be not now negligent, For the Lord hath chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that ye should minister unto him and burn incense. He supports the men of God. We read down farther in the chapter, verse number 20, we see he led in public worship. Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And and then it's going to go on and describe the sacrifices that are going to go on here, the sin offerings and then the worship offerings that will take place later. And he leads in this public worship. And chapter 29 ends, verse 36, And Hezekiah rejoiced, and all the people that God had prepared the people For the thing was done suddenly. We see this reform is in great motion now and it's working and he is rejoicing because of what God is doing. It's an unbelievable performance. You'll go into chapter 30 and 31 and 32 and you'll continue to see his reign of how he's getting the rest of Judah the rest of Israel is invited to come and worship with them and to worship correctly. Uh, he, is, he is bringing people back together. It truly is an amazing reign, this reign of Hezekiah. We could say his reform began at the house of the Lord. But I may say this tonight, it, it really began at home, didn't it? If if his wife, or excuse me, his wife, his, his mother, Abijah, was the godly person we think she was, and his grandfather, Zachariah, the reform started at home. It started there with his godly mother and godly grandfather. And I would encourage you this evening that if there's some reforming that needs to take place in your life, would you make a commitment to the Lord this evening? Um, there's someone that you can be an influence in their lives. Why don't you make that a commitment to the Lord that you want to be that individual to uh, be that godly influence in somebody's life. So Lord's worked in your heart this evening. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond here this evening. Jan, I'll come and play a verse of invitation for us at this time. And if the Lord's worked in your heart in any fashion this evening, I want you to uh, take a few moments to Commit those things to the Lord tonight. Father, we love you, and we sure do thank you for this great example of Hezekiah. Lord, how you used him to bring great reform to the nation of Judah. And Lord, I pray tonight, Lord, that you've touched our heart in some fashion, in some area, of something that was stated or something that your spirit impressed upon an individual this evening. Lord, that they would be careful tonight to do business with you and to be obedient to you. So Lord, take these few moments of an invitation, and uh, Father, help us to be obedient and to listen to you in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, as the piano begins to play, the Lord's touched your heart. The altar's available, or right there in your pew, you do business with the Lord this evening.